Dotnet Rocks episode 606 with guest Phil Hack. Recorded live Tuesday, October 12th, 2010. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here's Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl. It's Richard. We're in Sweden. Yeah, sort of. sort of. Don't you love time shifting? I love time shifting. (laughs) Welcome from Sweden. And next week I'm going to go to Serbia, but you're not. That's right. Yeah. I might go to Rome. I don't know. I'm still talking about that with Miguel. I should probably know by now, though. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think you'll have probably done it by now. Probably. Yeah, that's right. I might be in Rome at this very second, actually. Oh, no, I think you were in Rome a couple of weeks ago. Oh, man, I love time travel. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Let's start out with Better Know Framework, Richard. All right, what do you got? I have a class from MVC. Ah, very enough. nice. It's only fair considering today's topic. This is the dude. All right, here we go. System.web.mvc.asynccontroller. Ah, very nice. I figures my, my, my multi-threaded friend here. Yeah, you don't usually think of asynchronicity when you think of web handling. Right. Because uh, it is pretty much all synchronous, single-threaded, one-thread-per-user kind of thing. Yep. However, there are situations in which you want to do things asynchronously because mm-hmm. you're doing a whole bunch of things at once and you want some longer-running uh, function to happen and meet you at the gate. Yeah, mo- mostly parallelism, right? I got four things to do. I want them all to go at once. That's right. And I right. want to make sure that I get them all done before I get the results back to my user. Right. So basically, to create an asynchronous controller, instead of inheriting your controller from controller, you inherit from async controller. And controllers that derive from async controller enable ASP.NET to process asynchronous requests, but they can still serve as synchronous action methods. Nice. So there you go. And it's uh, it's all documented there. Just uh, check out using an asynchronous controller in ASP.NET MVC on MSDN or just, you know, use the Bing or the Google or whatever. There you go. System.web.mvc.asyncontroller. Got to like it. Who is talking to us? Uh, a fellow by the name of Aaron Axelrod from Israel. Hi, Carl and Richard. I listen to your show regularly in my car, starting at show 500. Well, hey. So there you go. Came to the show a little later. Of course, we're now at 600 plus. So there you go. I like it very much. It helps me keep up to date with new technologies and ideas while using otherwise wasted time of morning traffic jams. Sometimes I wish for even heavier traffic so I can listen to the end of an interesting show. We've really twisted people's minds now, man. I know. It's something. I also like the fact that you have full transcripts of your show, so I can look and read again on parts I want to recall or didn't understand particularly well. Unfortunately, I'm missing a few things from your website I'd really like to be able to find. I'm talking about more full search capabilities, tag clouding, and show summaries. Coming. Yes. Yes, it's all coming. Often after listening to a bunch of shows, I, I want to recall a particular piece of information, and sometimes it can be hard to find. If you can improve these aspects of the website, you'll benefit everybody. Keep up the great shows. And it's Arnon. 
Well, we will. So there you go. Arnon, we are listening. And that's exactly what we're working on right now. There'll be a new version of the website. You can expect tag clouds. You can expect search. Might even be up now. I it mean, might we're even recording be up this now in advance enough. We don't actually know what day it is anymore. That's right. <laughs> that's all right. Arnon, <laughs> thanks for your great email. I will be shipping a mug to Israel. And if you've got questions, concerns, ideas for shows, just want to chat a bit, send us an email, rocks at franklins.net. And by the way, I haven't mentioned lately that um, we're Franklin's.net is selling two videos for training, one on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis, the other on SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik, and you can get those at Franklin's.net. And I also want to mention that Infusion, our buddies who are, who are always looking for good developers, are, are opening up an office in Poland. Cool. So if you're interested in going to Poland to work with Infusion... Please, please get in touch with me, Carl, at franklins.net, and I will hook you up with them. We are uh, very happy to welcome back to the show Mr. Phil Hack. As a code junkie, Phil loves to craft software. Not only does he enjoy writing software, he enjoys writing about software in software management on his blog at hacked.com, H-A-A-C-K-E-D. Phil is a program manager with the ASP.NET team working on ASP.NET MVC. Phil, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Doing wonderful. We hear that there's something new afoot. Yes, there is. You still shipping software, my friend? Uh, yeah, we're shipping betas. Yeah, because last time we talked to you, you were all about you had just survived getting Studio out the door and had all these crazy stats on just how big shipping Studio was. Oh yeah, back in uh, Mountain View. That right. Was, that was when we uh, when Visual Studio 2010 just released and. Yeah, there's actually, so those stats, uh, I should clarify, those stats right. were uh, actually all of .NET 4. So, yeah, it was some right. crazy number of lines of code, right? Yeah, and some crazy number of source code files. So uh, when uh, I was telling people that that was Visual Studio, but I, what I meant to say was that was actually .NET 4, which including Visual Studio. So uh, a pretty darn big release. Can I ask you a question? Uh, sure. What is Razor? <laughs> What would you have done if I said no? <laughs> <laughs> I would say thank you. It's been a great show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a tricky question. Razor is a new syntax uh, for doing views and and simple web pages. Okay. So uh, it's in use by a new product that we've uh, come out with a beta of called ASP.NET Web Pages, and so that's a simple uh, inline um, page style development framework for doing. Uh, Simple web applications, right? Uh, kind of, you know, t- more geared towards the starter community, like someone who is first approaching programming, even. Yeah. And then, um, but that same syntax also is in use by ASP.NET MVC three in a new view engine that we uh, wrote that uh, is based on that syntax. So what we call the Razor View Engine. So if you're familiar with MVC, you know we have support for uh, having custom view engines, uh, multiple different kinds of view engines. So with MVC 3, we're sort of making the Razor view engine our default, but we still include the uh, existing WebForms view engine, too. Razor, you can um, you can always tell Razor by the at sign, right? The sort, that's the sort of the, the marker. Yeah, the at sign is really big in Razor. Uh, so what's really unique about Razor is that... Uh, with most view markup syntax, you have sort of concrete delimiters between code and markup, right? Uh, you know, the famous less than percent and percent greater than, right? And mm-hmm. then 
it's it's you know pretty much you know that anything between that is code and anything outside of that is not code. But with Razor, what we try to do is um, actually minimize the the noise of these delimiters by right. um, having a single delimiter, the at sign. But you don't have to delimit the end of code blocks. Instead, we understand the structure of code and the structure of markup, and we are able to seamlessly transition between the two um, based on sort of what you're writing. That basically means the moment you hit angle brackets, you know you're back at HTML. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Uh, and like the classic example I show when I give a demo of it is like if I type a UL element and then I use the app sign and then I type a for each line and an open curly brace. Then uh, if I type a open bracket like li element, when I close that li element, we know that we've you've closed this tag, so uh, you're back in the code mode. So if I do the closing curly brace, I don't need to delimit that closing curly brace with an app sign. I just type the curly brace. Yeah. And uh, it takes, if you're used to the other syntaxes, it takes a little bit of getting used to, but once you start writing it, it, it almost flows, you know, as I like to say, it almost flows the way you think. <laughs> well, it, you know, for those who remember the days of ASP and doing the, the whole equals percent, you know, angle bracket stuff too, uh, it really got messy. And I think that's, that's what you're, you're trying to achieve the same thing where you can mix code and HTML, but it, like you say, reduce the noise. Yeah. It really and did it, get messy. Oh, yeah, and, and with MVC3, uh, with the latest version of Razor, it gets even better. Uh, one of the tricky things about mixing code and markup is what happens when you have functions that return markup, right? Right. So let's say I want to write a, uh, you know, a, a magnificent div generator, right? And it's just a C-sharp function that returns this really cool div tag. I, I don't know what that looks like, but just take my word for it. Yeah. So you start to, you know, return and you create a new string, you know, with the double code div, you know, ID equals. And now you need to, like, escape the quotes. and Or if you use the at sign at the beginning of the string, uh, you know, to specify a literal string, you do the d- double double quotes, right? And, and it starts to get, look really messy, especially when you start, if you start taking user input and concatenating it to that string, and then you have to make sure you... HTML encode that user input, and so on. And so writing these functions, they look really ugly. What would be nice is if you could write uh, a function but use HTML as a, a part of the body of the function when you actually want to return HTML, like uh, almost like uh, XML literals in VB.net. Right. And so with uh, MVC3 beta, with the new Razor, we have this at helper uh, syntax. And with at helpers, you can write functions and then in the body of the functions, you could return, and then you could just go to, uh, you know, open brace and be in HTML mode and create, like, a little template of HTML right in the body of that method and uh, do it the same way you would write a view in, in uh, MVC. So uh, it becomes really nice for building these little helper methods that return snippets of HTML. So my next question is, do we need MVC to get Razor? Uh, no, if you install ASP.NET web pages or web matrix, um, you can actually use Razor uh, in an inline fashion. So the way that works is that if you just write, like, let's say, index.cshtml, you can start putting code and Razor markup right in there and then just make a request for that page, and it just works. Um, so you can use Razor outside of MVC. Does that mean that we need to use the web matrix tool, or can you just have to install it to get the code support? Can I use Notepad if I want to? 
Oh, yeah, razor? you can use Notepad. I mean, the Web Matrix tool just gives you, like, extra support, and it gives you uh, some amount of syntax highlighting and, and IntelliSense. Right. And if I wanted to use Visual Studio, I could use that, too? Uh, sure. Currently, we don't have support yet for syntax highlighting and uh, IntelliSense for Razor syntax, but that's coming. Okay. And, uh, yeah, Anders Lujberg just asked on Twitter, so when are we getting IntelliSense for Razor? Right. <laughs> when is it done? <laughs> nice. Good answer. You could you could work on Duke Nukem. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, to be fair, I'm uh, the PM for that is uh, another gentleman um, in our group uh, named Damien Edwards, and his team is hard at work on that. And uh, uh, you know, hopefully in the next release or uh, next next release, I'm not sure when exactly, but. Hopefully soon it will be uh, out. Now, you mentioned some new Razor features in uh, ASP.NET MVC 3.0, Preview 1, right? Yeah, well, in Preview 1, we introduced uh, the new Razor View Engine. In the beta that we just released, we added support for VB HTML, and uh, um, the Razor syntax itself added the new add helper support that I just mentioned earlier. Right. What other things are we seeing in this new... Uh, in this new, what are you calling it? A new preview or a new release of ASP.NET MVC three? Uh, we're calling it beta. Beta. Okay. Yeah. Beta, beta. one. Uh, no, just beta. Just beta. Yeah, I'm hoping it's just one beta. <laughs> okay. You know, and we'll call it. We'll rename it one if we have a beta two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm cool. being very. Uh, it's it's funny because I don't know if anyone remember, but in ASP.NET MVC one. I was very, uh, I very much wanted to, you know, I was very optimistic that we would have a beta, an RC, and an RTM. And so I named it, uh, you know, those names, right? And then we had this, found this last minute problem with the RC, and so we had to come out with RC2 and without having had an RC1 specifically. So, uh, you know, maybe I'm going to repeat history here, but uh, I, think, I think we're uh, much better off this time around. I think we'll be fine with that name. And also included in this new beta is NewPack. What's NewPack? So NewPack is a package management system for .NET developers, and it's really focused on the development scenario. Um, so there are package managers out there that are more focused on getting applications and onto your system. So, for example, Visual Studio Extension Manager is about getting uh, Visual Studio extensions onto your machine. Uh, Web PI or Web Application Web Platform installer is about getting web apps or other kind of apps onto your machine. Um, but what we're focused on with NewPack is really about um, setting up your uh, development source tree with libraries and tools that you may need. So the classic example I give is, um, let's say you want to use Elma uh, in your next project. Uh, okay, hold on. Let's let me let me spell some of these things here. NewPack is N U P A C K. Elma is an is it an acronym? E L M A H. Yeah, sorry. Elma stands for Error Logging Module and Handler. So it's a useful um, library where, uh, you know, when you want to log all unhandled exceptions, um, mm -hmm. and instead of showing people the yellow screen of death, you give them a nice error page, and you let Elma log the yellow screen of death in a place that you can go look at it later. Okay. So uh, typically, like, you know, when I start a new project and I need some of these dependencies, I used to go and look in the last project I used it in and, you know, go digging around the bin folder or the live folder, and I'd copy them into the new project. 
and that's pretty bad. Or if it's a assembly I've never used before, I then got to go searching for it, and I download it, you know, unblock the zip, um, mm. copy the zip, uh, the DLLs into my live folder, add an assembly reference to it, and then try to figure out what web.config settings I need to change, if any. And so NewPack is really focused on automating those steps that I just described. So, uh, you know, it helps you discover libraries, uh, get them onto your, into your solution, add the appropriate assembly references, and do the same thing for any um, other packages that your package is dependent on. Okay. So if you were to install, uh, let's say, in hibernate.link, well, in hibernate.link depends on in hibernate.core, which depends on other uh, libraries, and then it, um, NewPack will then download all of them into your project and set your projects up so that uh, hopefully right afterwards you can start developing against that library immediately. And um, there's, tell us about some of the other enhancements in uh, ASP.NET uh, MVC3. Beta, I'm, I'm thinking of the unobtrusive JavaScript in HTML5 feature. I'm reading Scott Goo's blog post here and trying to figure out what unobtrusive means in this context. So uh, if you look at our current client validation in MVC2, um, the way it works is that uh, we, you attach metadata to your server objects, and then we spit out this blob of JSON into your view, and then we have some client script that then attaches to, uh, reads all that JSON metadata, and then attaches validation to all the, um, oh. the, 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 code, the client code, right? Nice. And the problem with that is that you have to emit this you know, JavaScript into your page, and so unobtrusive JavaScript is really about uh, writing, you know, clean markup that works without JavaScript enabled, and then using uh, a separate JavaScript that's not uh, in line to the page, uh, unobtrusively, uh, you know, basically, or using the concept of progressive enhancement, enhancing that page so that it now works uh, with that JavaScript library. And so typically... Um, uh, if you were writing, um, you know, there's sort of this very purist approach where you just write markup and then you write uh, like the separate script that you reference that like knows your markup patterns and then uh, adds that behavior, layers that behavior on. Uh, however, with what we're doing, since we're doing a more general purpose validation library, we're taking advantage of HTML5 attributes, uh, the so-called data-star attributes. And so um, when you're using the, uh, when you have unobtrusive JavaScript enabled, Instead of sending that blob of JSON uh, with all the metadata about validation, uh, instead when we render out things like the text box or the uh, you know the various form inputs, we actually render out the data dash attributes with things like you know this is required, here's the uh, error message, um, and so on. And then uh, we have this jQuery validation plugin that then um, reads the attributes. Um, on the page if you reference it, and then uh, calls into jQuery validation and hooks up jQuery validation. What's really okay. cool about uh, the, that one is um, there's nothing specific to MVC in there, uh, which is great. Uh, the first time uh, Brad Wilson, who wrote uh, a lot of that code, uh, demonstrated this, he just started with a plain old HTML page, added some data dash attributes, referenced the, the you know, three scripts, jQuery, jQuery validation, and our unobtrusive library, mm -hmm. and boom, there's a client validation support. Wow. This is pretty cool. Yeah, it is. But I'm also really excited the idea that, you know, people are underestimating the impact of 
HTML5 is going to have for us as developers as we start trying to figure this out. So I like the idea that you may be taking on some of this for us, that we're going to keep building apps the way we always have, and it's just going to spit out some HTML5. Yeah. So, you know, and w- one of the nice things about relying on the data dash attributes is that if even if your pages, um, if your a browser doesn't support HTML5, well, those attributes are purely metadata. Your browser will still, you know, have that attribute as part of the metadata. And so the client validation still works, even if your browser doesn't support HTML5. Right. Give us, give us a little background on Data Dash for those who aren't familiar with what that is. So uh, Data Dash is basically the prefix for any HTML5 attribute. So um, where, uh, whereas in, uh, in XHTML, for example, you could actually namespace attributes. So if you're familiar with some of the early work in Microsoft Ajax, you know, you'll see a lot of sys colon attribute name. Mm. And then you look at sys and, you know, just per the rules of XML, that uh, sys would be a, a prefix for some namespace, right? Yeah. And that says that all those attributes belong to that namespace. Well, with HTML5, they're not, do- they're not supporting namespaces. They're not doing that approach. Instead, uh, you know, for attributes that are meant to be, you know, basically metadata, uh, they uh, suggest you do data dash uh, as the prefix and then, you know, add whatever. So you, we might have data dash VAL for val, validation dash required or VAL dash v, uh, data dash validation dash, um, you know, max length, you know, equal, and then equals yeah. quote 10. So it's just a way of you attaching metadata in a HTML5 compliant manner to I wonder, I wonder why the HTML5 people thought it was a good idea to move away from that into... I think the, one of the big focuses on HTML5, uh, for better or for worse, I mean, uh, you know, the, I'm sure there was a lot of debate on this, uh, was to try to increase the simplicity, kind of get back to the roots of mm-hmm. HTML where um, it was really simple. And so, you know, some of the changes I think are clearly good, like the doc type is just, you know, less than exclamation mark HTML5. HTML or something like that. It's like really, really short for the doc type. It's not like that big O blob with transitional yeah. and whatever that you have to decide now. Right. I think that kind of uh, simplification is good. Some of the other ones are a little more questionable, like you know, uh, removing namespaces and going to data dash. You know, I think that's arguable. Um, let's see, was there any other? Uh, yeah. And and you know, there's some other changes as well. Like one that I'm not particularly fond of that I just think is kind of a bad idea is that. Uh, you know, there's no strict rules about how you quote attributes anymore. So you can use uh, double quotes, single quotes, or no quotes, or or not even have an equal value. Huh. So um, you know, it's kind of pushing Postel's law to the limit, right? About like you know, letting any kind of bad input in. And that was one of the big things about XHTML that required all this kind of protocol. That yeah, made everything standardized. Yeah, and I, th- I think there's definitely a balance there in terms of you know making it easy for people to edit it and being forgiven versus you know having some elements where you start to introduce ambiguities if you don't require them. Like with attribute values, if you don't require quotes and somebody has a value that has a space in it, you know you. you don't know if that space is really meant to be the attribute value or is that right. space and new attribute. <laughs> yeah, if everybody plays by the rules, everyone's web pages will be much better. However, that's, you know, that's not the case. It's probably the reason why uh, Internet Explorer has always been the most forgiving browser out there in terms of, you know, oh, this table tag didn't have an end table, a slash table. 
you know, no closing tags, no problem. We'll just render. We know what you meant. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we hope we know what you meant. You just kind yeah. of figure it out. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik Just Code. If you're like me, you're probably using some productivity add-on in Visual Studio to check, refactor, and test your code. But how'd you like to get a complete list of your solution's errors on the fly as you type, and not just for the opened files? The new kit on the block, Just Code, does just that for all supported .NET languages as well as JavaScript. It's like having a compiler running all the time, only that Just Code is faster and requires less CPU time. One area where Just Code is definitely better is performance. The tool provides the fastest code analysis and better performance without slowing down Visual Studio. Another reason to try it is JavaScript support. It'll help you read, navigate, and refactor your JavaScript code better than you've ever imagined. Learn more about the features Just Code offers and download a trial at telerik.com slash justcode. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Is it my imagination or has Ajax just sort of slipped into the plumbing now? Is there not a separate Ajax install anymore? Uh, for MVC3? Yeah. No, yeah, we've uh, included, uh, I mean, I think since version 1, we've included all the cl client script libraries. And uh, with MVC3, we include jQuery, jQuery validation, and these new libraries. And one thing you'll notice is that, you know, per the direction set, you know, in Scott Guthrie's blog post a while back, is that more and more we're integrating jQuery and jQuery validation into the product. So with MVC2, we included jQuery. But if you looked carefully, you noticed that, well, we didn't actually build anything on top of jQuery that actually required jQuery, right? Yeah. Uh, with MVC3 now, uh, we're taking that next step where now we have core features that require uh, using jQuery. Now, you can always go back to the old model of client validation. So I just want to make that clear. Like if you, uh, by default with new projects and our project templates, we'll use this unobtrusive model, mm -hmm. which you, depends on jQuery. But if you want to use the old model and from MVC2, you can always go back to that model if that suits you. Uh, but more and more, like our direction has been to um, build on top of jQuery. Uh, you've probably heard recent announcements where uh, we've had uh, some of our work uh, building... Uh, like not my team's work, but uh, our Ajax team's work building jQuery plugins being accepted as uh, core plugins to the you know by jQuery, and one of those plugins uh, is slated to become a core part of jQuery itself. Wow! So, so uh, yeah, there's some cool stuff going on there. Well, it just shows that you guys have been taking jQuery pretty seriously, like really making your own products depend on it as well. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know. On a bigger level, it's just kind of the evolution of like how uh, open source is being integrated into dev div products, right? Or at least ASP.NET products, right? It's uh, you know it used to be the I, I th it felt like it used to be the mentality that uh, you know oh well we have to write our own and now it's becoming more and more well you know there's a clear leader here let's uh, look at that clear leader and maybe integrate them you know what I mean? Right and and. It you remember, I remember having this conversation a year and a half, two years ago, but now we're on the other side of this where it's like, oh, no, we depend on jQuery now. If you want to use the latest stuff, it's part of the equation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some of the, the things we've been talking about here uh, include the enhancements to Razor. There's uh, some new at model syntax to oh, yeah. so specify the types. Yeah, the at model is uh, specific to um, MVC. I believe, 
Yeah, I believe that's specific to MVC, but that's a, an enhancement where uh, before when you specify a strongly typed view, you would have to use at inherits and then the type name of the page, web view page, and then in brackets you specify the model type because um, web view page is a generic type. So you would say web view page of product. But now, uh, you know, we have a shorthand where you can just say at model product, and then that will specify the strong type. So it okay. just really keeps, uh, you know, just another step in keeping your views cleaner. Yeah, another simplification. Yep. And uh, there's also a new comment syntax, right? Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know much about that. I haven't used it yet. But uh, star. Um, new way to comment, uh, not that interesting, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a new way to co- comment Razor uh, blocks. Phil, just looking down the list of uh, overviews for the new things in MVC3, you specifically mention a bunch of dependency injection improvements. Mm-hmm. Uh, any favorites here? What, do you, what, have you, what have you done to dependency injection? It seemed like such a fine thing in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> well, we haven't changed dependency injection itself. I mean, that's just a, a concept, a principle. Uh, what we've done is try to make that uh, easier to apply when you're building MVC applications. Right. And we have this new interface um, and the, uh, called iDependency Resolver. And this is an interface that MVC itself calls into. Um, so if you think of our framework as the consumer of this interface, not necessarily application developer's code. Uh, and that's a key uh, you know, point I want to make, is that you know, this, is really, this interface is really about uh, enabling MVC um, Scenarios, and what 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 it does is uh, it allows MVC to call into your DI container of choice when it needs to create certain objects. Huh. So, for example, if you do a request for slash home slash about, uh, you know, by default, you know, assuming you have the default route set up, MVC knows that well. I need to create a home controller, and the default implementation of that is activator.create instance which is just going to call the default constructor or empty constructor on home controller and then return that. Uh, the problem is, though, uh, you may have um, constructor arguments for home controller because you have certain uh, other services and classes that that controller class depends on. And if you uh, get rid of the default constructor and add your constructor that takes in these arguments, uh, MVC by default won't be able to create that class. But if you register a dependency involver and hook it up to whatever DI container you want, uh, then what we're basically doing is we're call- anytime we need to create an object, we'll call into your dependency injection container. And we'll say, hey, uh, I need you to create a home controller. And then now you have control over how that gets created. So, uh, so for things that MVC needs to create, um, you can apply dependency injection. All right. And so uh, what else we did there is we uh, created more hooks and places where we'll actually call into your uh, dependency resolver and implementation. So things like, uh, whereas we used to create, uh, let's say, views or controllers explicitly, we have these new interfaces like iViewPageActivator mm-hmm. and iController_activator. Those interfaces allow you to, in a very targeted manner, uh, use your dependency injection container to like override any time we create a controller. You can supply the controller activator huh. and then do whatever you want um, when we call uh, create controller. So um, very, it provides some fine grained control over how we create these instances and put them together. So um, it, yeah, it makes a, a lot of sense. It just a, a nice improvement to the extensibility story for MVC three. 
and it sounds like the way you've done this is there's no dependency or no relying on any particular DI package here. You're just making calls into the MVC stack for what you need to activate. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so there is this common service locator out there. And uh, originally we thought about taking dependency on that, but we, but we looked at how we were calling into that, and we realized that we actually need a, a tiny subset of what that provides. Because part of the you know, main point of the common service locator in part is to allow uh, you know, call, uh, application developers to call into that and, and do their thing. And whereas you know, our little interface, iDependency Resolver, is really just for MVC to call into. Right. But what we did do um, in MVC3 that's sort of this like, uh, hit, not well-documented feature yet is that you can actually register an, an existing implementation of the common service locator, which you know, there are quite a few out there already. Uh, as your dependency resolver, and we'll do the magic to hook it up so that you um, will call into your common service locator implementation. So uh, not many people know about that, and you know there were some uh, concerns about how we weren't using common service locator, but um, I just want to point that out. Cool. Wow, there's so much stuff here. Um, so let's talk about uh, the helpers a little bit, and um, you, you came out with a whole bunch of new helpers. Not just view helpers, uh, crypto helpers, and email things. Let's yep. go down the list of some of those new things. So what these are, these were built for the ASP.NET web pages product that I mentioned earlier. And so the focus of these helpers were to make it really simple to do common web scenarios. And it was really targeting that product. But what we, what we realized is that, well, you know, these methods are implemented in such a way that people from MVC who want to use them can call into them themselves. And so we just made sure that, uh, you know, because you took a reference to Razor View Engine, we took a reference to the same assemblies, we just made sure that these would also work in the MVC um, scenario. So uh, it wasn't like there we developed separate versions of these for MVC. We just made them callable from MVC. And so okay. there's helpful helpers like the chart uh, for generating a chart, you know, uh, image uh, based on some data. Uh, crypto helpers, you know, provide some... Uh, you know, uh, hashing algorithms like uh, SHA-1, SHA-256, and so on. Uh, WebGrid is a um, simple, uh, helps you, you know, easily render a collection of objects in a grid with paging and sorting and all that. And then, uh, you know, isn't, WebMail. You isn't know, all that you stuff in the .NET framework? Uh, yeah. Have you tried uh, doing hashing in the .NET framework? I have, Yeah. Yeah. And it takes, uh, you know, several lines of code to do it, right? Okay. Yeah, and so the idea is that these are like simple facades, you know, uh, to doing common tasks, right? So if you need the, you know, like if you need tight control, you go down to the, the, the base classes. It's sort of the equivalent of file.readall versus, you know, using stream reader equals yeah. new stream reader, blah, 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 and, and all that. Sort of like the my namespace in VB. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I just had to throw that out there. So. <laughs> yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah, didn't we do that? High-level abstraction. And um, some XSS HTML input validation simplification. There's a mouthful. Uh, what is that about? Uh, I'm just reading Skaku's blog here. Let me just... Oh, uh, are you talking about the new improvements uh, to validate request or validate input? It looks that way, yeah. Yeah, so this is a, you know, it's a small change, but it's really nice in that um, 
let's say you're building a, a wiki or a blog, web-based blog engine, right? And then the first time you type in, you know, less HTML into a form input and hit submit, uh, what happens? Well, you get this big, ugly, you know, yellow screen of death that says, oh, you know, uh, invalid, uh, potentially dangerous markup was right. you know, detected or whatever, right? Yeah. And so the first thing every web developer does is they turn off request validation entirely. Right. And so we realize, well, you know, that kind of defeats the point of the feature if the first thing anyone does is to turn off this, uh, you know, feature that's meant to help protect, you know, protect your site, right? So uh, we did some work in uh, .NET 4 to provide more granular control over request validation. And some of that support is now being, uh, you know, kind of floated up into MVC 3. So you can use this new, uh, well, this existing validate input attribute but you can specify a comma-separated list of which fields, uh, HTML form field names, you want to exclude. So if I was building a um, blog engine editor uh, and I w- didn't allow HTML in the title, but I did allow it in the body and summary, then I could use a validate input attribute and specify exclude equals, quote, uh, body, comma, uh, summary, assuming those are the actual HTML field names. And that way, uh, request validation will run on any other field except for those fields. So uh, it's just another level of protection against uh, you know, cross-site scripting attacks. You know, I was looking for some more info on NewPack just to help people see more of the stuff. I keep kind of around this, come across this guy. Maybe you know him. Hanselman? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah. He said, I thought, where is your video on NewPack? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if you go to newpack.codeplex.com, yeah. there's a little video with music, and there's uh, I, I made that one, and there's there's not me speaking. So I actually <laughs> created a video where I walk through, uh, you know, some of the features, and you can find it on YouTube. Right, it's right, but, it's, uh, but it's right on the main page for Newpack on Codeplex too, right? The intro to yeah. Newpack. Yeah, well, the the one on the front page is uh, just music. And because basically what the uh, my coworkers and the new guys told me was, <laughs> 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 so we thought, well, I could leave the that video where I'm speaking as a sleeping aid on uh, YouTube, but I'll record one that's a little more upbeat and doesn't have anyone speaking as the kind of one and a half minute intro to NewPack. Right. So if you go to newpack.coplex.com, click on that video, um, and. Uh, uh, What's really cool, just kind of as an aside, is that I really wanted some decent music. And, you know, licensing music is very painful. Sure. And so I found that there's a Moby, uh, has this site, Moby Gratis, where he licenses music for free for independent filmmakers. And I thought, well, uh, for nonprofit. And I thought, well, you know, this is an open source project uh, by the nonprofit Outer Curve Foundation. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of making a film. So I, I, you know, said, oh, what the hell? I'll ask them, see if they'll let me use it. And so, you know, I submitted my request and they approved it. And so I was able to use a uh, Moby track without, you know, violating any copyright. Nice. And and you just sort of tossed off their outer curve, which I don't think a lot of people know about. Oh, yeah. Uh, Formerly Codeplex Foundation. So if you recall, recall a while back, uh, you know, there's this new foundation that was spun off of from Microsoft, that Microsoft was a sponsor of, but it's a completely independent foundation called the Coplex Foundation. Right. We did a show about the Coplex Foundation with Sam Ramji a while back. Yeah. Even yeah. at the time, we were worried that you had Coplex.com and Coplex.org, and it, people get confused. Yep. 
Yeah, I, and you know, this is a concern that uh, many of us raised early on. You know, I was on um, uh, on a, a group of I wasn't on the I was on a board of advisors, and uh, you know, we kind of raised this as well. And uh, you know, there was a lot of I think there was a lot of rationalizations made. Well, the branding helps, or this or that, or or no, people will figure it out. But uh, I think over time, you, what you learn is no, they won't figure it out, <laughs> <laughs> and they get they'll get confused, and so. Uh, it sounds like that, you know, they realized that they needed a change, so they recently announced a new rebranding. So the Coplex Foundation, which was coplex.org, not to be com- uh, confused with coplex.com, uh, was renamed to Outer Curve Foundation, and then they changed their site to outercurve.org. There you go. So I think, uh, you know, at first I wasn't a fan of the new name. I thought, Outer Curve, what does that mean? But <laughs> Uh, you know, in the end, I'm, you know, it's kind of growing on me, at, at least in the sense that at least it's not Codeplex. <laughs> right. <laughs> and NewPack um, is on Outer Curve. Yeah. So NewPack, what's really great about NewPack is that um, it uh, is a uh, completely open source project under the Apache 2 license. It's been contributed to the, uh, assigned over to the Outer Curve Foundation, and we accept uh, contributions. So, you know, when you look at ASP.NVC, for example, like it, there's been this steady progression of it becoming more and more open source. Right. Uh, you know, you know, technically you're you're open source when you uh, have an open source license, right? So, yep. ASP.NVC source code is licensed under the MSPL. But uh, there's sort of this, you know, uh, well, that's technically the definition of like source code available under the open source license. There's sort of this cultural aspect of being open source, and that cultural aspect is, well, does your project accept contributions, right? Right. And that's often the bar for a lot of people who work in open source is, well, I don't really consider it open source unless you accept contributions. And so, you know, ASP.NVC currently, we still don't accept contributions, except we do accept contributions to NewPack. Uh, so... And moving it to the foundation was one way that uh, sort of opens up these types of scenarios. So for folks who aren't really sure about the difference between the two codeplexes, or now Codeplex and Outer Curve, what's the big deal about having NewPack over in the Outer Curve Foundation? Well, that's a good question. So Codeplex.com, just to you know make it clear, is what we would call a forge, right? right. So that's a, uh, a hosting provider for uh, your open source repository. And, we, and NewPack happens to be hosted in Coplex.com. But the foundation is kind of a different thing. The foundation is more of a legal entity that takes uh, kind of uh, ownership and, and uh, what's the term, stewardship of the project itself. Right. So when your project is a member of the foundation, uh, the foundation will provide its own guidelines for, uh, you know, and help support for open source projects. And so, uh, you know, they have... Uh, a list of things that they do in, in supporting a project, but uh, they're hoping to expand that list, you know, and I've suggested to them things like, well, you know, one thing that some projects do, uh, would like to do, but don't know how to do is, you know, how do they sign their projects if they wanted to? Right. Uh, things like yeah. that. And so I could see the foundation expanding to provide that kind of service uh, to its member projects. And what's really nice, uh, the other big deal about it is that the Outer Foundation is an independent organization so that, uh, you know, it makes it easier for a project in there to uh, work in an independent manner and work with the community and not feel like, oh, you know, 
uh, this is a Microsoft project, we're not going to accept contributions because we're Microsoft. Instead, when it's an Outer Curve Foundation, it's more, yeah, we're, our whole goal is open source, so we do accept external contributions. You know, come on board. But we have, you know, good processes in place for how we do that. And I, I think the big thing is this whole having a repository for the IP side of things. Who owns NewPack? Well, it's, it's owned by the foundation now, so it's got an, a sense of independence. Yes, yes. And I mean, that's not that big of a deal when you have a product that was originally developed by Microsoft. But when you get real, you know, just a couple of guys working on something that turns into something cool kind of thing, when those guys disappear, that project dies. Getting it into the foundation is sort of making sure that doesn't happen. It's now protected. Uh, yeah, hopefully, to some degree, yes. Hopefully. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it hasn't been tested yet, right? Like, yeah. The foundation is relatively new. So. Yeah, nobody's going to really know until it goes through some form of litigation. Have we exhausted all the new features in MVC3 beta? Uh, I think we could talk for hours and before we get we exhaust them. Uh, I, I think we've hit upon the major features. Let me let me just take a look at my list here. Cause, you know, there's a lot of little improvements as right, well, right? I was going right? to say, there's lots of little things. Because this uh, is yeah, version I mean, 3. A lot of bug fixes, a lot of little tweaks that just make things a little better for developers. Like, uh, you know, just as an example, um, when you use our HTML helpers, we have that little trick where you can use an anonymous object to specify attributes, right? So, right. like, you just do new, open brace, uh, you know, title equals quote, title, whatever, right? So, you know, the obvious question comes up, well, how do I do a data dash uh, attribute when dashes aren't allowed in C-sharp Ooh. property identifiers? Ew. Well, you know, in a way, we got lucky here because, well, underscores aren't allowed in um, attribute names in HTML. So, so what we did is we changed our helpers to... Uh, convert underscores in those attribute names to dashes when you're using the anonymous object syntax. And okay. so that now makes our helpers able to generate HTML5 attributes. So we've made a lot of little changes like that. Wow, very cool. Um, what, is, what has been the, um, the most appreciated feature on the blogs so far and in Twitter and the Twitter's? In the Twitters and the blogs, well, uh, I think two two come to mind. One is NewPack, which you could look at as a as, as a feature in its own right. Yeah, uh, there's been a lot of uh, people who wanted who've been wanting package management on .NET for a long time now. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of like other platform envy, right? Because Ruby's had it for a long time with Ruby Gems. Uh, you know, other platforms, Java's had it with Maven, and so on. And so, you know, just to like, I, I get a lot of uh, pushback, well, you know, Microsoft didn't invent package management. And, you know, I always point out, well, we never claimed to, right? We're just saying that we've built one now that developers in Visual Studio can use and have a really nice integrated experience when they're doing package management. So uh, I think that's been really well received. Uh, the other feature that I think has been really well received is the Razor View Engine. Uh, every time I show it to people, uh, People get really excited about it. They yeah. really like it. And then they ask, when are we going to get IntelliSense for that? <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, I think that's a show. Yeah, it's great. Um, uh, where where should we be looking for information on this? Just go to ASP.net slash MVC. ASP.net slash MVC slash MVC3. All right. Phil, thank you very much. And thanks for all your hard work. And thank, oh. thank the goo for us, too. Will do. All right. And we'll see you next time. .NET rocks.
Dotnet Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. Dotnet Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a